Hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Dr. Randy Bach. I am uh, here today, February 28, 2023, with Retsef Levy, who is a uh, professor at MIT in analytics and a bunch of other stuff. I'm sure he'll be able to explain better than I. Um, I have him on the show for a couple different reasons, but perhaps, uh, Retsef, you could take it away and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to uh, and, and what's been of interest. Yeah, thank you, Randall, for having me on uh, on your uh, program here. And um, yes, I, I'm a faculty at the MIT uh, at, the, at MIT, and um, I um, my my PhD is in operations research. And over the years, I've been working on um, the application of advanced analytics to and, and uh, risk management uh, uh, approaches to different areas, uh, but particularly a lot of work uh, with health systems. Uh, with uh, in the context of manufacturing of biologic drugs and issues related to quality and safety in this context, uh, and uh, a lot of work also on food and agriculture systems. Again, thinking about uh, among other things, thinking a lot about risk management and how you can use data to assess risk and mitigate risk. And since the uh, pandemic has started, I've been working uh, quite extensively in this area as well. Um, both uh, as part of my research, but also uh, supporting uh, different governments, uh, state governments here in the U.S., uh, as well as uh, uh, some support to the government and some politicians in, in Israel. Um, and um, one of the things, for example, that I've been working on was uh, to think about the safety protocols of nursing homes in Massachusetts. Um, so, so I've been uh, thinking about different aspects of risk management and how you can use data and operationalize, uh, use data to operationalize uh, effective uh, risk management and safety uh, approaches. Okay, so that's a mouthful. So how did it come down and what, what's been kind of on your mind or occupying you lately? I know you've, there's been some um, you know, thoughts on your part about uh, the efficacy or safety of vaccines. Mm -hmm. um, where, where, you know, how did the process work for you and how are your thoughts kind of um, evolved or not evolved over time? Um, yeah, so so that's an interesting journey. By, by the way, one thing that um, maybe I forgot to mention that uh, academia is kind of my second career. I, I spent almost 12 years in the Israeli military as an intelligence officer. So the fact of the matter is I'm thinking about risk management from age of 18 in different settings, both pr practical and, and many, maybe academic settings. Uh, so this has been a this has been a journey for me, uh, you know, when um, uh, very early on from the start of the pandemic, I was very concerned that the uh, policies of, of, you know, universal lockdowns and, and uh, that, that were employed were very uh, uh, harmful. And I was un, I was, um, you know, thinking very strongly that we should have a much more um, risk-based approach and really uh, consider the fact that the COVID-19 virus is posing a, a great risk to some populations, specifically old people and people with uh, serious comorbidities, but on the other hand, uh, pose very little risk if, if, if in fact, maybe no risk yeah. to very young people or healthy people and definitely for children. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that was something that I was concerned about uh, from the very beginning. Uh, when the uh, vaccines came about, I was surprised, uh, to be honest. I, I, I was, uh, based on what I, I know from working with quite a few pharmaceutical companies and sort of having some sense about 
uh, both the development uh, phases and the manufacturing phases of uh, this type of drugs, I was betting with people that there's no way this can be done before the end of 2021. And I was surprised that, wow, this is kind of remarkable. Uh, but to be honest, <clears throat> my first gut feeling or gut reaction was <clears throat> no way. If that was approved by the FDA, it cannot be that bad, right? Like, okay, so maybe it's not completely um, matching what we usually do, but probably the compromises are not very significant. <clears throat> As time elapsed and um, um, both the discussions about the booster started and also uh, the first uh, data about myocarditis started to emerge, uh, I became more and more concerned that something uh, is not go is not right here. <clears throat> that when you think about, um, and, and I'm really kind of someone that thinking about uh, systems and complex systems. So one thing that um, I think that I usually uh, ask myself is, okay, what is the uh, paradigm of safety here? And what is the paradigm of uh, efficacy here, right? And um, I think that over the last um, two years, um, you know, starting maybe April 2021 and, and, and going forward, I became more and more concerned that the <clears throat> advertised and promised paradigms of both efficacy and, and, and uh, safety of these vaccines have uh, completely collapsed. Um, and, and they don't basically, uh, they don't hold uh, true to what was uh, promised. And let me maybe, um, uh, get into the details. <clears throat> so when we think about the efficacy paradigm, right? Uh, I think that there were, uh, you know, there was a very big push at the beginning that everybody should be vaccinated, both high risk people and low risk people under the premise that these vaccines are going to uh, stop infections and stop the virus. And that we will get what is what was called uh, vaccine induced uh, herd immunity. Um, yeah, I think, there's a I think that by now, by now, it's clear that that's uh, I think it was that has been a false, uh, pr false uh, prophet, yeah. prophecy, right? So, uh, um, and um, you know, we know by now that everybody got infected, <clears throat> and <clears throat> that these vaccines are not uh, stopping infection. Infections, in fact, if you um, you know now after I analyze that. <clears throat> The fact of the matter, there was never a real hope for these vaccines to stop infection because they are basically generating um, antibodies in the in the blood and not in the mucus. And we know that if you don't do the latter, you, you're probably not going to stop the virus, yeah, uh, so respiratory so virus, from spreading. The guy you've probably heard of, Dr. Fauci, uh, just co-signed a, a paper to that effect. Uh, it was out in January, I guess. Yeah. More too late, a little bit too late. So, uh, yeah. okay. So, uh, so now, uh, what was the other uh, fundamental idea of the um, efficacy premises? Was oh, this is such a fast, rapid uh, technology that we will be able to catch up with the uh, variants of the virus as they mutate, right? Now we know now <clears throat> that that didn't work out, and and we are constantly uh, falling behind the virus. The virus is changing far, far faster than what we. Uh, what we are able to uh, uh, in, in the, the, the pace by which we are able to update the vaccine and also <clears throat> just the premise of getting a vaccine every um, uh, four months is um, it, it's not something I think that um, um, th that was not the conversation to when we started the, the conversations about this uh, these vaccines now 
so, so now we're, we're coming to a very, um, you know, the last resort on efficacy saying, hey, uh, these vaccines uh, prevent severe illness and death. And I think the fact of the matter is that we never, not only that we, th this was never shown to, to, to be the case, but in fact, <clears throat> if, uh, what I consider a pivotal paper uh, study that was published in the journal Vaccines uh, by Freeman et al. Uh, reanalyzed the clinical trials of Moderna and Pfizer, the mRNA vaccines, and um, which is the best, the highest quality data that you have, randomized control experiments, right? Mm -hmm. And when they analyzed the uh, number of serious health events, that means deaths, hospitalization, and life-changing medical events from a very well-defined well list that actually the World Health Organization set up. Uh, so when, what they did is that they took that list and they analyzed how many events of this type happened in the vaccine arm and the placebo arm, right? And unlike what you would hope, not only that the number of events in the vaccine arm was, were not lower, it was not lower than the placebo arm. In fact, it was actually statistically significant, significantly higher. So in fact, what they concluded is that on every 800 vaccinees, you are likely to see one more uh, serious event like that, serious mm -hmm. harmful event like that. Mm -hmm. So what we end up now is with a prediction from the clinical trials that for some reason was not shared and was basically ignored, that if you are going to launch these vaccines to the overall population that is represented in the clinical trial population, right, you are likely to see more harm than um, than uh, than benefits, right? So that that leads me to the safety paradigm of the of the of the vaccines. And in a second, I will I will talk about uh, talk about that. But <clears throat> fast forward two years uh, uh, from from when these vaccines were launched, we actually see staggering population level indicators that um, are consistent with this prediction. We see tremendous excess mortality uh, in the U.S in Europe, uh, in many highly vaccinated countries. And, and people have to understand excess mortality is a major indicator that basically uh, compares how many deaths are you expected uh, to see from all, cause, all causes compared to what you actually see. And typically when you look historically, usually the number, the excess death is going up and down. And the reason is that if you had a very bad year and a lot of let's say old people, usually the people that die are mostly the old people, uh, you know, that's kind of natural. Mm -hmm. Then the next year you are likely to see less deaths because there is a given population of old people. Yeah, but like, what we see now is we yeah, see three yeah. years of continuous increase in all-cause mortality that is actually spanning all age groups, including uh, the younger ages, including the, work, the working ages. And this is not just excess death, this is also high rates, dramatic increase in high rates of disability. Uh, and other indicators that are very concerning because many of them, if not all of them, have temporal correlation with the vaccination programs. Right. Now, again, this is, not a, 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 this is not a proof by itself, but when I connect that with the prediction from the uh, clinical trials and what I see now, that's, that's very, very concerning, right? Um, so that's kind of a high level view. Um, one thing that I've done, one piece of research that I've done, um, once we started to hear about myocarditis was 
just basically uh, to read a little bit about this condition, microdiosis inflammation of the heart. Um, and it's, in fact, when you read about this, there are decades of research about this condition. Uh, you find out that uh, it's very hard to diagnose uh, microdiosis. In fact, um, in many cases, um, uh, people may not even know that they had inflammation of the heart. They may not have any symptom. And in those cases, if the person's uh, heart was harmed and the person is not aware of that and the person goes about their life and maybe go, goes working out, running, this is often a, a, a reason, uh, a primary reason, it's a primary reason for sudden death out of the hospital, especially of young people. Um, and at the time, you know, and we're talking about April, <clears throat> April mid-2021, mid uh, we knew that the vaccine is, is in, is in, is, it can cause myocarditis, and there were also some indications that the COVID-19 infections can cause myocarditis. So what I uh, wanted to see is whether I will see in EMS uh, call data, whether I'm going to see a signal of an increase in out-of-hospital adverse events. Because mm -hmm. if you think about that, most of the uh, adverse events out of the hospitals of death or, or serious cardiac arrest or uh, events like that are involving uh, an ambulance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so we actually did this study in Israel and we looked on two, two and a half years from 2019 throughout the middle of 2021. In Israel, Israel was one of the first countries to start uh, the vaccination uh, program uh, at the end of 2020. <clears throat> and most of the people were vaccinated at the, at the early part of uh, the, the first quarter of 2021. Uh, and um, when we actually looked on the uh, number of calls of Israel has a national service, so you actually can get access to all the calls. When we looked on the number of calls with the cardiac arrest diagnosis based, based on the diagnosis of the EMS teams uh, in the field, we've, we, we, we detected an increase of 25% of the number of cardiac arrest calls uh, among uh, the ages 16 to 39 and a smaller increase among the older ages. So that was a very concerning um, because we saw that increase only at the period of time when vaccination started. Like when, when COVID happened over 2020, over 2020, we actually saw a decrease compared to 2020, 19, and then this dramatic increase of cardiac arrest calls uh, in 2021. And we also did some more analysis that, um, <clears throat> again, cannot prove any causal uh, mechanism, right? Um, uh, because the underlying cause of such an increase could be very complex because they can involve the vaccines, they can involve the infections, they can involve some interactions between the vaccines and the infections, they can involve other, other reasons. <clears throat> but nevertheless, that leaves you very, very concerned. And, and we actually called for the Ministry of Health and other health authorities to investigate very uh, thoroughly what is happening based on individual level data that will take into account the vaccine vaccination status and the infection status of the individuals that are uh, are affected and also maybe use autopsies right of course this was dismissed <clears throat> and was not followed through and since then we actually see similar data in many other countries like scotland that the uk uh, in australia but we also see uh, even more um, concerning data uh, one of the things that actually the FDA itself um, was concerned about is what, again, what I call subclinical myocarditis. This is, the, again, the scenario when you have myocarditis, but you don't have very uh, visible symptoms. You may have no symptoms at all or very vague symptoms. <clears throat> and the FDA actually asked 
Moderna and Pfizer to conduct studies among children and young people post-approval of the vaccine in, in August 2021. Uh, and in fact, they were supposed to report back about the results of these studies just this month in February 2023. And they just got like another six months to report. So that's kind of uh, what's going on. Uh, but two teams, two research teams in Thailand and, and, and Switzerland did actually quite uh, a good study. They, um, they tested people heart before and after receiving the vaccine. So they test all the heart indicators just before you get the vaccine and just before, you, just after you got the vaccine and compared for each individual <clears throat> the, the baseline compared to what happened in after the vaccination, both for uh, the, the Thailand one was the second dose of the vaccine and the Switzerland one was the booster. And in both cases, they found dramatic impact of uh, cardiovascular indicators. And in, in particular, they found in one in 30 and one in 50 elevated troponin, which is the number one indicator to damage in the heart muscles. This is the, this is the number one test that you, you, you're going to have if you have a heart attack. They're going to test you for elevated, elevated troponin to see if your heart is being damaged, your, the muscle of your heart is being damaged. So this is a, this is a staggering this is a staggering rate. Like um, when people say that myocarditis is rare, even the clinical rates we're talking about in the highest risk population, which are young people, uh, young males, is one to 2,500, one to 5,000. People have to understand this is very high. We, we took vaccines off the market for one bad event per 100,000 or per one, uh, one per 10,000. We, we kind of took them immediately off the market. Here we're talking about even the clinical rates are one to 2,500. That's already very high. But now we are talking about maybe one in 50, one in 30. Th and every time you take this vaccine, every dose, you're rolling a, it's basically a Russian roulette where are you gonna, where are you gonna be uh, damaging your heart? And then who knows what the long-term implications are. Now, just to complete the picture, there are now multiple autopsies, studies based on autopsies that uh, uh, conducted autopsies, autopsies on people uh, that uh, died uh, shortly after being vaccinated. And they find in a high percentage of them indications of inflammation of the heart that can be consistent with the myocarditis based on the vaccine. Because for, for some of them, they actually find antibodies against the spike which is part of the vaccine, but they also don't find antibodies against other parts of the virus, which basically tells you that it has to be the vaccine because the vaccine only has the spike. Now, so when I put all of this together, um, this is something unprecedented that you will continue given such evidence uh, and not stop immediately, especially when we're talking about um, a population that has zero risk from COVID and now most of the population is already exposed and the omicron as, as you probably know is is a much milder version of the of the of the virus right so going forward continue to going forward at this point seems like really 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 hard to explain um and really against every basic principles of first do no harm right that we've we've had now um one thing that people have to understand, this is just one mechanism of harm. Uh, and again, now I want to go back to the very high level, system level paradigm of safety of these vaccines, because these vaccines, they are called vaccines, but they, are, they work very differently than traditional vaccines. Right? Traditional vaccines, 
they basically take the virus that you want to protect against and um, show you the body either a dead uh, or attenuated a piece of it. Uh, uh, virus. So they stimulate your immune system just like it would be stimulated if you would be sick, if you'd be exposed to the virus itself, mm -hmm. right? What is happening in the mRNA vaccines <clears throat> that they are being injected into your muscle cells with the code that teaches these, these cells to produce inside the cell, right? On the membrane of the cell, the spike protein or, 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 mm -hmm. uh, or, or uh, parts of the spike protein or, or that, that uh, with some modifications. And basically the hope is that the body, the, the, your body will see that as a foreign body, will learn how to develop antibodies to that and will be ready for that. What is the problem? The problem is that the assumption was that this is injected locally into your muscle in the shoulder and then stays there and clears away, right? However, we know that that's not the case in a relatively high number of cases. There are multiple studies now that found both the mRNA, the, 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 the entire package that kind of uh, yeah. is being put around the RNA code to keep it stable, as well as spike protein produced, expressed in cells in the body of people way after they uh, were, were vaccinated. In, in fact, even months after they were vaccinated. So if, 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 that, if that fundamental uh, assumption that it doesn't stay in the body, in, in the, locally in the muscle and clears away, that's not true anymore. And now we, are, we, we can have people going around with mRNA in their body and, and maybe yeah. uh, cells that produce spike in their body. That can explain the range of side effects that we see in people that are really covering every organ system, uh, neurological problems, muscular yeah. problems, yeah, no. uh, autoimmune problems, because the body now is viewing foreign uh, material, foreign bodies inside its own cells and it's going to attack it, right? That's kind of what the body is trained to do. Um, and this is very, very concerning. So this is why, you know, people will say, oh, this paper doesn't prove it and that paper doesn't prove it. Yes, it's not one paper. It's not one piece of evidence, but you have to look on the overall evidence and you also have to look on uh, what was the systematic paradigm of this vaccine safety. And is it being supported by the data that you see? And if it's not supported by the data that I see as a safety person, as someone that uh, from age of 18, I'm uh, essentially working and thinking about how do you think about safety of high risk, uh, high risk activities, how you understand the signals from the environment to tell you whether you're okay or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that not, we are now at the stage where there is a mounting evidence that we are not okay. That that actually doesn't right. go uh, the right completely. direction. I agree with you completely. There's been so much. There's a concept. Um, well, I'll leave it, petitio principi, which is begging the question. So much of what has been put in front of us it has false assumptions within the, the the way that it's presented. You know, the first year we were told to lock down, as if you know, if you went scuba diving with a mosquito net instead of something uh, structural, that you could somehow you know not 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 get wet. You know, the, the, the masks were never appropriate. Lockdowns don't stop viruses. We're all rebreathing the same air with a mask without. So everything was kind of set in place. I know you you um, posted that Woody Harrelson uh, video from Saturday Night Live, which was sort of for SNL and admission against interest. I mean, he's 
typically from the left. And I don't think they expected uh, his... Uh, yeah, nobody laughed if you saw that. Like, oh, it was absolutely. like yeah, there was, was, a, there was silence. an embarrassing silence, awkward silence, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, because New Yorkers, you know, have, have totally purchased into this. And... And it's a silliness, but you know, for people who are unaware of it, they should go watch it. And he, he does it better than I. He does a better Woody <coughs> Harrelson than I do. But basically, he said, imagine a drug cartel that locked you in your house until you go buy their drug. And everything was pretty much arranged to that purpose. You know, there, there was no reason in 2020 not to be able to try medications. I mean, Rogaine. Um, early, early, and, early treatment. That's the basic stuff that we do. Uh, for any virus, right? For any respiratory virus, early you, you, treatment you is a key treat element, it, right? You know, we have all kinds of indications like Rogaine and um, and uh, Viagra, which which had original different purposes, and then they were repurposed when the other uses were found. So there was no, there was no reason to think that ivermectin, which had had antiviral activity and actually won its inventor the Nobel Prize uh, a couple decades prior. Oh, no, it's a horse. It's a horse. And, and it's F FDA approved, safe, and HCQ, the same thing. But there's no reason not to try those things, even if they don't work. And I'm agnostic on whether they do work or not. I'm not here to promote them per se. But in the absence of anything else, you know, certainly you have the right to try. And that was actually a, a medical bill under the Trump administration, where for cancer patients who had nothing else going, the right to try something. So everything seems to be geared, you know, towards sitting there waiting, holding your breath, and then finally you feel as if you're rescued. You know, they, 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 you know, as if you're in a, in a house on fire and you, you can't open the windows, you can't leave, you can't do this. And finally, the firemen come and rescue. You're like so grateful for them. But guess what? You, you know, you might have been able to just open the door and leave in the first place. And those options were taken away from people. And it was assiduously done. It's really sad. And I, 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 you know, totally on board with what you say. You know, I, I don't want to spend too much time here, but I was literally yelled at um, at my tennis club. A guy who was an MD and an MPH, he screamed at me because I was talking with a mother um, about when vaccines were already had been out for a while, and she was debating whether to give it to her child. And I said, well, you know, children, you know, basically stuff we've already spoken about. And he came, he wasn't even part of this conversation. He came in, eavesdropped and screamed at me, like literally, like jumping up and down, kind of screaming that I was, you know, killing people, blah, blah, blah. And so I tried to take this offline. I, I you know, got him in the side room and we exchanged some emails. And he said, well, you know, COVID-19 caused more myocarditis. Da, 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 da. I said, well, that may or may not be true. That it's not true. There are multiple yeah, I, I don't I agree it's not the actually... case. I, I said that may or may not be true. But in point of fact, if, if you're giving it to people who've already had COVID-19, you know, young people, then then and if if what you say is right, let's stipulate you're right, then then why would you re-expose them to the same bad thing? That that makes no sense. And so most of these people, why don't you antibody test people first? And so anyway, there was no stratification. It was all kind of one size fits all. And everything as you're and your your kind of your, your spidey sense, you know, military intelligence analytics were correct throughout. I mean, I don't think I think most of the good stuff that's come out of this has not been from people who were medically credentialed. Uh, Mark yeah, Schreiber, I, 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 I want to say maybe two thoughts about relating to what um, you just said. So one thing that I, I tell people all the time that I, they say, oh, you're deviating from the narrative. Uh, I, I say, you know, I'm, I'm mainstream. I'm speaking the mainstream up to three years ago. Early treatment, risk-based, never do lockdowns when you have respiratory virus, never give a vaccine to uh, not the high-risk population, uh, first do no harm, right? Uh, you know, monitor, monitor very carefully, uh, be willing to change course if you see that the, you know, your assumptions are not, are not correct. Um, I think that the, the people that deviated and became very extreme, and I think you kind of pointed out how ridiculous this was at times, 
were actually the people that are now calling themselves the narrative on the mainstream and uh, the mainstream. Now they're not mainstream. They may yeah. call themselves mainstream, but sorry, we we and people, um, you know, I, I think you interviewed other people uh, on your show. I actually think that we are the mainstream. They, they are they are extreme. We are not extreme. We are we are representing the balanced, risk-based approach that we we would. This these are the textbooks. A lot of what, what I'm saying is not like uh, oh I'm not a genius to think about it. This is just like I'm just reading the textbooks of what we've known forever, uh, and I'm just saying it back to uh, to people, right? Um, so, and and, and the, the other thing that I want to kind of relate to that, and I think that that's kind of was a lesson to me is how much fear you know how, how how powerful fear is once you injected fear in the heart of people it shuts down logic it shuts down uh ethics it shuts down empathy <clears throat> and and i i think you know and i'm working with a lot of doctors uh over 17 years and i i really think that most doctors are good people that really want to uh, help and save their patients, but people have to understand most doctors are such in a, in such they work in such a hard environment, like very stressful environment. They don't have the time to read all the literature. They are being told this is the algorithm, and like uh, you know, and well, I, I, they, 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 they and usually they don't have reasons to believe that they are being told the wrong thing. Yeah, but I think that historically we, especially when we didn't have a protocol that was validated we actually relied on the common wisdom, the collective wisdom of doctors trying and, and experimenting <clears throat> and doing sensible things based on their best judgment to come up with best practices. That, that, that best practices usually evolve in medicine from people trying different things and the best practices uh, win at the end because they, they have the best outcomes. For, for some reason, in the last three years, we adapted a very centralized um, to the extreme. Like not only that we um, we try to impose policies, we are actually going after people that are that they're asking questions and, and experimenting. Uh, we, we're going after them just for the just for the reason that they tried, not even regardless of whether they were successful or not. So I think that. I want to highlight here the process that I think medicine has evolved over the years through the collective wisdom that emerged from the frontline experience of people. Mm -hmm. It was never like one source of kind of wisdom, centralized source of wisdom that kind of, oh, yeah, we're going to tell you how, how to do that. It's, it's the contrary. It's actually uh, root grass knowledge that is coming from frontline and it being kind of integrated over a year and sort of experimentation yeah, yeah. until the moment when you say, okay, there's a clear evidence. Right. But this is the best practice. Yeah, right? That's the way science works generally. I mean, science is too. But in, the, in medicine in particular, I just want to emphasize that people, Absolutely. someone that's worked with, the, with doctors for 17 years, right? So. Is the art of medicine where you're supposed to work on your clinical judgment, your own kind of receptacle, the way you filter things and so forth. And science has always been two things. There's a scientific body of knowledge. It's also the scientific process of validation. And historically, you know, sometimes it's hard to do things medically because, you know, one person has a rash, another person has a rash. Is it the same rash? Do they have the same physiology? It's very difficult to do these kind of things. And so we've relied on the literature and kind of an accretion of knowledge through through process. But and talking to the patient as well. So I, I, the, the other part of this is that it's really the doctor and the patients working together to help the patients to get better. And that interaction leads insights, uh, failures, successes, and, right. and kind of this collective wisdom is what would kind of uh, creates uh, the, the advancements in medicine. Yeah, but but I, I think you're 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 onto something there. I would add two things. 
One is that in this particular case, um, you know, it's been socialized. When I say that, and I don't mean socialized medicine per se. I mean, I mean the focus away from the individual to the social group. So it was collectivized, I guess might be a better word, kind of a Soviet kind of word, that medical care was decided that it's not so much you, it's like what you are doing for other people. And I, I get this. If this were a zombie apocalypse or a horrible smallpox or maybe, you know, anthrax by, by respiratory vector or something like that, that's genuinely horrible. I think, you know, we can make the argument that one's actions do impede or affect another. But in this particular case, there were clearly huge blocks of the population that had nothing going on. And this was known early on from the Diamond Princess in January 2020. That there was really nothing going on for the, you know, walking, talking. Um, you know, if your pharmacy, if you if you wake up in the morning and you're young and your your medicine chest is empty of pills, uh, likely COVID's not going to affect you. You know, so I had a very early, easy test um, for, for COVID efficacy or for COVID worries, which is to look at your driver's license. Uh, take 2000, you know, take 2021 and subtract from the, the date of birth. If it's a low number, then you're pretty much healthy. You know, check your medicine cabinet. So anyway, that, that was not really adopted. And and we wound up having this, this um, you know, draconian um, top-down uh, system of, of collectivizing medical care. And I'm just going to add a second point, which is uh, to kind of put the heat on, on medical doctors, of which I am one, um, but I have, uh, I mean, it's debatable whether I have friends. I have acquaintances for sure, but one of my friends, long-term friends, is a medical doctor. He's a pretty notable uh, guy in, in the medical scene here. He's been on TV uh, talking stuff over the years, and during COVID, he and I talked, and he had COVID very early on. So did his wife and his family. They were all fine. They, they had it. It was, you know, cough, sneeze, whatever. They moved on with their lives, and so I said to him, I said, uh, you know, so this is a good time, you know, to take, he had, he was, he sees young children. And I said, this is a good time to take the mask off for them because, you know, I mean, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? You're, you, do you think you can get it again? He says, no, absolutely not. I said, are you worried you're going to give it to somebody else? Cause you're already, you know, he says, mine's long gone. It's been two weeks. I said, well, what's the, why wouldn't you, what, you know, take the mask off? He says, well, uh, you know, I said, it'd be a good measure, you know, to show the kids that there's an end at the end of this. There's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, rainbow at the end of the storm, all that kind of stuff. He said, well, it's not really politically time yet. I'm yeah. like, what politically time? He says, yeah, you know, we have to get, basically, we have to get Trump out. And and we, if we don't keep the pressure on it, you know, politically. But I said, you know, I I, I just think that this is a total misapprehension. And, and you know, I, I, they are literally changing Hippocratic Oath right now. So he's probably going to be in accord with the new, 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 new Hippocratic Oath or whatever they call it. But in point of fact, this is not the, the, the relationship uh, physicians should have. And again, I, absent extreme circumstances of a zombie apocalypse, I think you have to be treating that patient and, and deciding what's best for that patient and be honest with the person that, you know, there is no mysterious virus. I already, I've already had it. I live so forth. Your kid There's no reason for any of us to be wearing masks at all and so forth. But to take your, your marching orders, to think you're part of a political team, um, it, 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 I think it pollutes the whole relationship and it, and it damages the science. And I think we've seen that, you know, not just from this guy, but, you know, all throughout, top to bottom. Yeah, it, to, to me, the, the way I would phrase it is that we we basically broke the, uh, um, maybe the most, one of the most sacred um, principles of, of effective medicine, which is the autonomy of the doctor and the patient. Uh, and we injected to, to that autonomy also other considerations that are not relevant, like political considerations, fear. Um, <clears throat> but at the end of the day, I believe that the way, as someone that really works for 17 years with many health systems and many doctors, I always tell people with all the technology, with all the drugs, at the end, it's about humans taking care of humans. 
And this, this human interaction is at the center of what I consider effective medicine. Uh, and, 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 and the autonomy of the decisions there, like they can be informed, they can, they can get information, they can be informed, they can be advised, but at the end of the day, it's among, it's between the doctor and the patient to make a decision what is best for the patient, right? Yeah. And ultimately the patient needs to make the decision. Right. I mean, the unless they're not capable. You know, I, I'm, do, I'm doing some outpatient medicine as a physician practicing, and, and there is still a mask mandate in all outpatient doctor's offices. So if, if somebody, you know, if I have a nine-year-old coming in with an elbow, uh, you know, fracture or fall or whatever, and uh, the, you know, 35-year-old mom, everybody's healthy. Nobody's got a cold. Nobody's got a sniffle. Everyone has to wear a mask for the entire interaction. Part, part of the medical interaction is trust. And this is, you know, face-to-face -face interaction. We're doing Zoom here and we get to see each other. Yeah. We're not near each other physically right this second. But there's a certain aspect you, I can gauge absolutely. Absolutely. feelings and expressions by looking at their face. This is this is this is what, what's going on. Yeah, this, this is actually a very narrow. I mean, the, the other thing that happened to us that we took health, which is you know the holistic definition of health, and we narrowed it down to whether you have positive or negative to some one virus, a single virus, and we forgot about mental health. Uh, we forgot about other viruses. We forgot about you know trust. We forgot right. about. Uh, many things that impact health, we, and we know that they impact health. And what we've done to the kids, what we've done to the, you know, one of the things that I think uh, is the major, one of the ma more major failures of the of the last three years, is uh, we as a society, uh, we sacrifice the young and the kids uh, in favor of the older and the sick, right. and that and that's to me the opposite. The society should do exactly the opposite. They should put. Societies with the right uh, value uh, value system should put kids always as a first priority because yeah, that's the future, right? And I, I don't think we've done that. I don't yeah. think we've done that. It's, that's a major failure. No, it's a, it's definitely. As, as having six kids, I I feel very personally uh, passionate about this. Well, Mazel tov to you, um, and congratulations. The the you know the the amazing thing you know people have watched the movie Titanic. You know, there's kind of a noblesse oblige. There's a, a, a a standard where, you know, women and children first on the lifeboats. And, um, you know, we, we didn't accord them the same courtesy. Now, my, my, I've said this before on my podcast, but my now late mother-in-law uh, was in her, you know, late eighties, early nineties through, throughout COVID. She lived the entire time. She died a couple months ago from other reasons. Um, we kept her in the house and she was fine. She, she was not mobile at that point. Anyways, it was, we, we didn't isolate her. She was already self-isolating for quite a few years prior. Um, but we, you know, we were careful around her. Uh, you know, frankly, we didn't wear masks all the time. We weren't, we weren't sick and so forth because the interaction was important. You know, that yeah, she, she would die from a, a loneliness far, yeah, much faster you know, than exactly. she would die from I, 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 a, I literally virus. know, I literally know uh, families who did that to their old people or with their old people, however you want to do it. Uh, you know, where this one well, now late um, mother of a friend of mine, uh, she was indoors for a couple of years and nobody saw her at all. Uh, maybe her husband now and then. I'm sure she's declined she intellectually and mentally. She uh, didn't go, out, she didn't go outside that. literally once until somebody said it was okay to go outside. And I, I've said this before, there's a beautiful photograph of her feeling the sun for the first time like in a year and a half, which is wonderful, but but it was not necessary. You know, the same kind of thing of like holding somebody's head underwater. I mean, I love breathing. I don't really think about it that much, but if somebody held my head underwater for like, I don't know, 90 seconds, whatever, I'd be like so grateful for breath. And this is kind of what happened. It's like, aren't you happy we're letting you breathe now? <laughs> you know, yeah. you know we, we, we used to have this joke. What's the, what's the best thing about getting hit on the head? 
um, beaten up, you know, is that it feels good when it stops. Um, and this is kind of the mentality. We, it's kind of the, the, uh, the mentality of the abused and, and that, you know, we will let you, we will let you have your freedom. We will let you walk around. We'll let you do them. We're not we're going to let you go to school, but you have to do this. You know, it, it was a, it's a craziness. I, I'm just going to give one separate example. You know, I, I'm a pro-vax person. I took the flu shot every single year. I'm a physician. I found it was efficacious for me. I could go to work more often. I didn't get as sick. You know, my own personal experience of the flu shots were awesome. I took them from a pretty, you know, moderately young age in the 20s, whatever, onward, and they work fine. Um, yellow fever, is there's a vaccine for yellow fever. I've never, ever taken that vaccine. And it's probably equally good vaccine, but they don't give it to people who haven't had yellow fever. They don't give it to the endemic regions. They give it if you haven't been going there and you have to be at risk and so forth. And it's like, there's no reason just because there is a vaccine to give that. And this, this kind of judgment and application and, and, and striation, tri triage, whatever you want to call it, was never, you know, done. It was always a matter of everybody. It's a brute force method. And then at some point we have to think qui bono, like who's benefiting from it, it became, this? In fact, uh, I would argue that uh, until three years ago, we used to have, um, you know, science on one hand and, and very extreme people that objected almost religiously uh, to all vaccines whatsoever, right? And I think that unfortunately now we have uh, the opposite religion that says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in favor. Every, all vaccines must be good for everybody every time. And I think, I think that the truth is that every vaccine, like every drug, should be examined over time based on the data available with respect to the person at stake. Because I always say, like, it's okay to give sometimes a drug that has a 20% chance of killing you if that drug uh, is yeah. given to a terminal a cancer patient that maybe has no chance whatsoever and they it, it, it might be their only hope, right? So Actually, that might be okay to do, but it's yeah. definitely not okay to give it to a, to a, a healthy child, right? So yeah. my point is like we lost track of, uh, we kind of went away from the fundamental, fundamental principles of risk-based science and medicine where everything, we basically everything, uh, personalize, personalize the treatment to the person based on their choices, their risk factors, and so forth like there is nothing that is good for everybody like almost no, no, no nothing in life including in medicine is good for everybody in, by the way even in food now the new the state-of-the-art studies show that maybe tomatoes are really great for you and maybe are not very great for me depending on our personalized biome uh, yeah. composition right? there's, there's so, it's it's you make some excellent points i mean there's no absolute in a lot of these things i found out recently the total sidelight but you know, hot peppers, you know, we eat a hot pepper. It's like, oh my. you know, we have contested how, how many hot peppers you can eat. Apparently birds can eat these hot peppers without, without any problem at all. And, and I was reading, it's not so much that there's like sulfuric acid or something like that in the hot pepper, which is what I thought. I thought there was some kind of fulgurant agent causing, you know, damage to us. But in point of fact, it's actually species, try to say this fast, species specific. And, um, and the, the peppers, you know, they don't have brains, the birds barely have brains, but the peppers have sort of decided that the best vehicle for passing their seeds around are birds. So they're gonna be tasty for birds, hot for everybody who's got, you know, grabbing them because we don't have the mobility of birds. I, I don't know what the algorithm is. Fascinating evolution. But, but, but this is the thing. So, so something as fundamental as a hot pepper, we think that, oh my God, everyone's got a hot pepper. You know, nobody can, nobody can eat a hot pepper. Everyone thinks a lemon is sour, but, but it, that's, you know, true to its extent and it's probably for some animals whatever the lemon's not that sour the pepper's not that hot and these things have to be kind of repurposed and figured out you know uh, according to, to what the situations are and again this has the, been this the, the kind of the the missed 
it was all everything was labeled misinformation. But you know, almost everything that was misinformation then is turning out to be true now. And um, uh, this this concept of misinformation is one of the most destructive concepts that we've had over the last three years. And I I think that um, you know it sounds great, but until you get to the question of who gets to decide what misinformation is. And then sort of the, this answer already kind of breaks it down. It's almost like democracy is not a perfect system, but like maybe it's the least worst system that we have. Uh, and, and and I'm saying that because you, you also mentioned other vaccines and other, um, and, and you mentioned the word trust. You know, one of the things that I'm most concerned about is, you know, th there are many issues about the COVID-19 uh, pandemic management and, and we need to really learn the lessons and uh, we need to actually take care of the people that were injured and invest in understanding better how we actually uh, know how to uh, understand the mechanisms better and develop some treatments. But, but I think that all of this is important, uh, not only because of the specific issues related to COVID-19, but in a broader context, <clears throat> if we believe that medicine and science and public health are important elements of, of a healthy, society and are important for the well-being of individuals in, in, in our societies. Uh, I think that if we don't, I think that what happened over the last three years has completely demolished the trust of most people in, in what they're being told, in, in what is being uh, reliable information. You know, uh, I, I think that we are now in a situation when you cannot believe what the CDC is saying, because most of the time that's something completely wrong. These are very, very uh, destructive um, situations, and 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 I think that we have to work hard to change the systems that we have uh, with that in that respect and regain the, the trust in science and medicine. Because as, as a scientist, I still believe very strongly and very passionately that science has a, and medicine ha have a very, very important role of uh, enhancing well-being of people in the world. It just needs to be used according to the basic like, principles yeah, that we've, like, uh, we've uh, uh, embraced throughout many decades. But it also needs to be kept out of uh, both political and commercial interests, because it should be kind of something that uh, we really defend and has uh, have very good boundaries, strong boundaries, uh, so we can actually advance science and advance medicine and translate uh, yeah, their output we, into something that can really help people. Right. There's a big problem when these things are, are misused. I, I have a, a term of art um, called a conspiracy of interests. So I think conspiracies don't necessarily form in the deep, dark rooms where people are, you know, smoking cigars yeah. or whatever and hatch a plan. So I think, I think something happens and some flag gets, you know, pulled up a flagpole metaphorically. And then certain people salute and certain people don't. It's either for or against. So I, I'm, I'm going to touch on this at the end, but I'm the author of a book called Overturning Zika, which is the last previous uh, you know, great pandemic, and that that just fizzled away. It's just nothing there. Um, people are still spending money. There's a billion dollar research industry on it. Uh, they're literally working on a vaccine right now. Um, but the science wasn't there. But the origin story is fascinating. And I, I I started only with a small article. I went into got it. It got became a book because every time I looked deep more deeply at this, I was like, oh my word. There's more and more like uh, more oddities underneath the oddities. And it turns out that, you know, Zika microcephaly came about through basically bad science. It was conjecture that got leaked to the press in, in a couple different occasions. And that's not science. That's panic. And, and, and what, what it, it, wind up, it wound up kind of like steamrolling 
uh, um, into a, a, a bigger uh, thing than it was because there were people who were actually, believe it or not, were in favor of Zika microcephaly. Uh, it's a miserable problem. If it happens to your child, it, it's you know not a death sentence, but it, it's a, a you know, cognitive uh, sentence. And, and, but who could be in favor of this? Well, it turns out that a good portion of the population uh, on the left in this case um, changed the abortion laws in Brazil. And so this became a, a bandwagon, to change the metaphor, for, on which they could jump uh, to, to affect change. And so everyone, you know, and there were lots of groups throughout who kept, you know, the, the um, you know, the pressure on to, to you know, anyway, the, the diagnosis took on greater light than it might otherwise have had without certain political allies. And I think that we have to be very careful. And, and in fact, in Zika, the, the, the origin of the Zika part had a, a political motivation as well. I'm not going to, I'm going to you know, save that for my readers uh, to find out. But, but when, when I learned something. Thank you. When, 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 you know, when, when things are put backwards, it doesn't work as well. You know, the, the, yeah. and, yeah, and what happens, but, but the funny thing is there's no apology. Uh, this one is, you know, kind I, of, I, you know, I think it will take time before people will apologize in the COVID context because there's so much on the stake. Once, once you launch this vaccine to everybody and you didn't just give it to the high risk people, you have basically no way back. What are you going to say now? Oh, we made a mistake. This vaccine caused more, caused, right. causing more harm. They're like, you, 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 you cannot. It's going to take a long time before people will even admit wrong. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm patient. So uh, I think it's going to take time, but. The truth is going to come out. So. All right, so I'm, I'm going to we're nearing the end of uh, your yeah. availability, and I'm very much uh, appreciative of your time, and I'm I'm honored that you spent it with me, um, and us, in, uh, in TV land, as it were. Um, but uh, so, what what has been the result of your proclamations or your videos? Uh, have you garnered any uh, momentum? What are your next steps, and uh, what are your what's your advice to people? You know. Um, it got some uh, quite a lot of exposure. I think, um, you know, to be honest, I, I, until very recently, I was not on social media. So this world is new to me. So I'm still uh, uh, learning that. Um, <clears throat> it seems that, um, unfortunately, the scientific channels are often censored and being blocked, still blocked. So it's very hard to convey messages through the regular scientific channels. Uh, so, so it's being left to the more social media um, uh, mm -hmm. outlets. Uh, which is good, and I think that like maybe that's a new age where people consume information in different ways. But I really hope, and and then I, I and I'm looking forward to working hard to really start to have back an environment, a scientific environment where we can actually get together and have debates. Uh, because I think that the way um, the way forward has to go through regaining the ability to disagree and and look at the facts together and have different interpretation. <clears throat> without without the expectation of, of apologies and, and uh, admissions of errors, I think that, uh, that that's that's what the time for that will come. But I think that what matters more is that we start to have again a dialogue because currently, uh, for many people, uh, as you said, it's highly politicized. Not not necessarily between Democrats and Republicans, but between pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine. It's like it's you are immediately classified. Yeah. And it's 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 more about your your label rather than your what you're saying, right. the facts. And and, yeah. and I think I, I hope that we can break that. And I and I think um, th there will be some political pressure to break that, I expect. But also 
Uh, I hope that within academia, as time progresses, there is more and more openness for those kind of dis discussions. And I think that that's, that's going to be um, hopefully um, something I can contribute to as an individual. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm expecting a long journey. The, the, what the, the last the, undoing the last three years is not going to take uh, three years. It's going to take maybe no, I know. ten it's, to fifteen years. So, uh, so I'm, 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 I'm getting ready for a marathon. <laughs> I know it's a sadness, isn't it? Um, so it is what it is. Yeah, I, I was going to uh, um, just end by well, I, I, I always like to do my own. Uh, what is it? Shameless self-promotion. So I'm just going to um, sure, no end for the people at home um, with a copy of my book here. I'll make it a little bit bigger. Um, this is Overturning Zika, the Pandemic That Never Was. Um, that's my name. That's a mosquito. I'm not a mosquito. Um, just for I don't identify as a mosquito anyway. Um, and uh, it's on Amazon. It's coming out in Brazil um, within the next few weeks. Um, I've gotten some good uh, feedback on this. Uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya um, read my review in American Journal of Medicine. Um, I think it's a really fascinating story um, because it gives, it's, it's, it's more of an isolated one, like a Fabergé egg. It's, it's its own thing that can be analyzed and so forth from a distance. But I think the, the major message, you know, everyone knows Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And I think if you ask people on the street, you know, who was right, who was wrong, how much he should have paid, what People are like voluminously knowledgeable about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And back in the day, same thing, O.J. Simpson. But th these were these were adjudicated in a court of law and it was public. And so, you know, the lawyers got up there and I don't know which lawyer you like better, whether you like Amber, you like Johnny, whatever. But but people are knowledgeable about this. I, I, so here's my idea. I just kind of occurred to me is that, you know, you should have a, you know, kind of a court of law. There should be a science judge. And, and people have to present their arguments. So forth. And then, I don't know if there's going to be an answer or not, but people maybe have the, I don't know. Maybe. That's back to the debates we're talking about. Like, that's like all the debates. It should be a debate. So Yeah. All right. Um, I, I'm going to leave Thank it there. Thank you very much. Any, any last, last words? No, uh, I hope uh, help. We, if, if, if anything, uh, we all uh, probably more, uh, more appreciate the, of the fact that health is the most important thing in life. So I wish everybody that is listening and watching uh, us uh, and we'll watch us just keep your health intact and do whatever it takes to live healthy. And um, hopefully uh, uh, that will help. Okay. And and you have an unusual name. So I'm just going to tell people if they want to follow you, um, they can just copy the name. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. So they can uh, follow me on Twitter. And uh, I, I find your, your your feed stimulating and uh, your, in, your work and your thoughts as well. So thank, thank you so you much. much. Stay on for a second if you want to chat. But sure. I'm excited by sure. everybody else. Bye, everybody.